this morning to Church of the Apostles. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin this morning. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for this day that we can come before your throne and lift you up to come together as your family. Uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, if there are any hurting hearts this morning, that you bring peace and comfort. And uh, Lord, we're going we're gonna to love you and lift your name up this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we continue to sing. And I'm going to read from Psalm 66, so verse 1 through 5. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Selah. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man.
Breaking, oh God. 
And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's stand as we continue to sing together. Thankful, sing. Death has been beat. 
Bow your heads and pray with me before we open God's word together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this place that you've provided. Uh, We thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you, most of all, for sending your son and what that means for us. We pray this morning that as we think about uh, the wonderful good news that you've given, that you've announced, that you have done through Jesus, that you would show us clearly uh, what you've called us to be in this world and the time that we have here. I pray that you would... Encourage us greatly by your word. I pray that uh, if there's areas of our life that we need uh, the Holy Spirit to come and convict us and to show us and to change us, we ask that you would do that this morning. Uh, We just confess that as we open your word, we cannot do this on our own. So we ask the Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning, that you would show us exactly what you would have uh, for us from your word, that you would apply it to our hearts and our lives, that we would leave here having been changed, having seen you more clearly being more conformed to your image. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So good morning. Glad you're here with us this morning. We're continuing in this series that we've been talking about the last couple weeks. And so what we've been saying really since the beginning of the year is we've been talking about this idea of discipleship and what that looks like. And so one of the things that we've been saying each and every week, if you've been here in January and in February, is every week I've been saying this over and over, that as we talk about growing in discipleship and what that looks like, it's kind of like this three-stranded rope. There's these three things that go together that we're going to be growing in as followers of Jesus seeking to be disciples. Uh, We define discipleship simply as growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life. Uh, under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to continue to grow as disciples as we've come to know and to love Jesus and what that looks like. And so this three-stranded rope that we've been talking about is to grow as disciples. We're growing uh, in our relationship with the Father through what Christ has done and the power of the Spirit. That's what we've been calling the up relationship, that up relationship with God the Father through Jesus by the power of the Spirit. But then we said as we grow in that, we're going to grow towards one another, the in relationship with the body of believers that God's called us to grow into that. And we hit real heavy on that last week. We were talking about that last week, about the importance of growing in that in relationship, being committed to a local body, how God uses that as part of what we're doing and what we're called to be. And then lastly, we've been saying the out relationship, our relationship to the world is if we've come to know Jesus and we are putting our faith and trust in him, now we are sent people to go out and proclaim who he is and what he's done and to live that out in the world. And so in all three of those areas, we're called to be growing in obedience in those, growing in that. And so we've been saying we need to be doing the up and the in and the out, all three of them together. And so last week we were real heavy on the in part of this equation, talking about how important it is 
to be part of a local body, to be committed to one another, to be growing in those relationships. But today, I'm just going to tell you, we're going to really shift to be very focused on the out today. Last week was more the in. This week, we're focusing more on the out part. But I just want to remind you, each week as we're looking at that, all of these go together. All of these are to be growing together. And it's not one versus the other. It's all of them. And we're called to be faithful in all these different areas and growing together. And so this idea of looking to the out part, you know, if if you've ever been here, you've been here for any length of time, you'll hear us say this often. Our mission as a church is to make disciples who make disciples. I think God's given us this clear picture. That was the last words he spoke to us before he ascended into heaven. This is what this looks like. Go make disciples of all nations. And I often say, I just said this in the new member class this morning. I'm not really smart enough to get at anything else, right? Jesus said, make disciples. That's the picture. So we're going to try to focus on what he told us to do and what that looks like. Making disciples. And so the Great Commission is this picture is that we're sent into the world to make disciples. There's actually a quote that gets right down to the heart of it in your bulletin this morning from Charles Spurgeon. He says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. It's pretty straightforward, is it not? Like he didn't mince words there. That's kind of Spurgeon to his core. He just tells you like it is and what the Bible says, that we are sent people. And so oftentimes when we think of discipleship, or or I have, I don't want to put this on you, but in my life and growing up and being around the church for most of my life is this idea of discipleship was always kind of put out there as, as older believers coming alongside younger believers and helping them grow in their relationship with God. And that's absolutely true. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not a bad definition. That's not a bad thing. But that's usually where it stopped, or it was in my experience. And so what it meant is older believers got together with younger believers. We did some Bible studies. We talked about God things, and then we went on our way, and then we maybe come back a week later and do that same thing again. And that's what it was always kind of communicated or looked at or those different things. But I want you to think about the Great Commission and who is there and what Jesus said as he did it. If you don't know the Great Commission, it's the very end of Matthew chapter 28. And so Jesus is there with basically all the believers that were there. Right? They were there with him. This is the, the little band that were there that had stuck with him, that had now seen the resurrection. They saw who he was and they all gathered together and he said, meet me. And they all are there and they're standing there looking around at each other. And he gives them the Great Commission. He says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I commanded. And so here's the question I have for you. When Jesus said to basically all the believers, the church at the time, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I commanded. Who was he talking about that they were to go to? It wasn't just the church. It wasn't, hey, you committed believers, go get your younger brothers and sisters in the faith and help them grow up in it. It was go to the people that have not heard and proclaim what has now happened. Now, it's going to be both. I'm not I'm not trying to pit one of these against each other. In fact, this is kind of the in and the out we've been talking about. Last week, we talked about how it was vitally important to be connected to a local body, those in relationships with other believers. And that is absolutely true. But God then tells us as committed believers together to go to the world that doesn't yet know him and make disciples. And so it's go and make disciples. So making disciples as we go together to proclaim who Jesus is. And so today I want us to think about that picture of going and making disciples and simply 
put, that quote from Spurgeon is great. All Christians are either missionaries, they're either missionaries or they're imposters. And so we are all sent people. As disciples of Jesus, we are told to go and make disciples. That's all of us. And so I want us to think this morning as we look at Luke chapter 10 together, that we're all sent. That's the first thing I want us to look at. We're just going to talk about that for a minute. That every single one of us is a sent person. If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ by grace alone, by faith alone, and what Christ has done, you are now sent. The second thing I want us to consider, though, is how do we do this? My experience, you can nod along or you can tell me later or you can talk to me later, is that oftentimes we see that in the Bible, we believe that, we understand that, and it scares us to death. Wait, you mean I'm sent? Yes, you are sent. And so we go, well, wait a second. So I want us to consider what Jesus teaches us right here in Luke chapter 10 that really helps us with this. There's very practically helpful things that Jesus is pointing us to that's going to help us in that going as we go. And so that's the second thing. How do we do this? But then lastly, and this is so very important, that we see the power and the motivation to actually be able to do this. The power and the motivation, and that'll be the third thing. And so let's just start right at the beginning, is that we're all sent. This go and make disciples. And so begin with me in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to start in verses 1 and 2. So after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so I want you to just think about that picture. And I want us to see something that Jesus tells us. Sending us out into the harvest and what that looks like is he's sending these 72 followers out and he tells them to go. And he says something really uh, important for us to, to focus on here. And he says this not just here, but multiple times throughout scripture. But you see it here in verse two. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus will say the same thing in John chapter four. If you know John chapter four, Jesus is talking with the woman at the well and he's having this uh, talking with her and telling her about who he is and what he's come to do. And the disciples come back with food. Right. You know this story. And they say, well, you haven't eaten anything. Do you want to eat? And Jesus says, no, I don't need anything to eat. My food is to do the will of my father who sent me. And they're all looking at each other like, what is he talking about? And in the context of that passage, what Jesus is saying is the will of the father. What I'm doing, my food is that I'm getting to tell people who I am. That I'm going and I'm doing evangelism and I'm proclaiming who I now am. And I'm saying that and they're all looking at each other like, what is he talking about? And then he turns to him and he says, look, the fields are white for harvest. He's telling them the same thing that he's saying here. Uh, similarly, Acts 18, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. Paul goes into Corinth. You know the story. He goes in and things are not going well for Paul. In fact, it's very difficult and he's meeting a lot of resistance He's, he's facing persecution, as Paul often does, as he goes and proclaims the gospel throughout the world. And all of a sudden it tells us in Acts 18, I think it's right around verse 10, that Paul has a dream. That God comes to him in a dream and he says, Paul, I want you to keep going on speaking and don't be afraid. And then he says, I have many more in this city. He says, I've got a lot more. And so when I look at that passage with what he says here in Luke 10 and what Jesus says in John 4, and the picture becomes real clear. Jesus says that God has people that he is calling to himself 
And the issue is not that he's not calling them or they're not there. Is we just need more laborers to go out and tell them. We need to be proclaiming who he is and what he's done. And he says the fields are white for harvest. They're ready if we would just have more laborers. The issue is not that the people aren't there. It's just that they need to hear. And so he begins to send them out and tell them. And so we can say that. And oftentimes in the church we'll say that's true. And I can tell you statistics about unreached people groups in the world that have never heard the gospel. We could talk about those different things and people will nod along and say yes. And oftentimes what happens when we talk about this in the church in North America anyway, is we go, yeah, yeah, there's people that need to hear. There's people that need to know who Jesus is. And so we go, well, let's get together and we'll support some more missionaries. We'll pool our money together and we'll help send more people, which we do here and we should do. And that's great. But oftentimes we stop right there. I agree with you. We should send more missionaries when people say that. We should give more sacrificially. We should seek to send more people to areas that haven't been reached. But I'll tell you, when I hear this, what Jesus says about the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, I stand here and I look around the room and I go, we've got like about 150 missionaries right here. That's you. If you can hear me and you have come to a saving faith in Jesus, then you are sent. You are a missionary. You're one of the laborers that gets to go out into the harvest. And that's every single person that knows Jesus Christ and has come to faith in him. We now get to do this. And it's a wonderful privilege that God allows us to be part of it. Now, sometimes people go, yeah, yeah, but we we should have people who are trained and they've gone to seminary and they've done this and they've done that. And then we'll send them and they'll be our missionaries. And you might possibly have kind of a weak argument if it was just Luke chapter 9. You know what Luke chapter 9 is? The very beginning of chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples that have been with him. And he tells them to go into the cities and do basically what he's telling the 72 to do here. They go out and he sends them out. But the problem is we don't just have Luke chapter 9. We actually have Luke chapter 10 as well and everything that follows that. But in Luke chapter 10, it says, And after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. He didn't just take the 12. He took all these other disciples, these people that were starting to follow and come along, and he sent them out. And it's not just this picture that the trained or those that have gone to seminary or they've gone to this or whatever are the ones that we send out. But we're all sent out. All disciples of Jesus are sent people. It's all of us. And so that's the picture that we see all throughout Scripture. When God blesses you. And the ultimate blessing that you will ever receive is faith in Jesus Christ, that you've come to a saving relation with him. He blesses you so that you can be a blessing. You see this all the way through scripture. That's always the way he does it. He blesses you so that you can now bless others. That's always part of the equation. And so as people that have come to faith in him, we are blessed to now go and get to uh, tell others. And so you can read this and say, well, what's the deal with 72 Why 72 people? Why like that? Why that number? What's going on? And I think uh, commentators and scholars will tell you that Jesus' audience would have known exactly what he's talking about when he said 72. In Genesis chapter 10, there's a table of all the nations that are existent on the earth at the time. There's a list. You know how many there are? 72. Yeah. Jesus knew exactly what he's doing, and he's teaching in all different ways. The gospel is going to all people, and I'm going to use all people to do this, to reach them, and this is what it looks like. 
And so simply put, as we just start here, big idea is that you have come to a saving faith with Jesus. He now has blessed you so that you can bless others. Think about Ephesians 2 that we we looked at partially just a couple weeks ago when we were celebrating baptism. And it, it walks us right through what it means to come to faith. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy has caused us to become alive in Jesus. And he shows us this whole picture. And then you get to verse 10. And then Paul says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I've saved you. I have blessed you to be a blessing. And so now you get to go and proclaim who Jesus is. And so that's every single one of us. And so simply put the first part is if you know Jesus, you're clinging in faith to him and what he's done alone. You are sent. You're a missionary and you're sent to proclaim who he is and what he's done. And so the second part I want us to consider is what Jesus shows us and teaches us here of how do we do this? Oftentimes when we start to talk about proclaiming who Jesus is or sharing our faith, it brings up a lot of feelings of anxiety and uh, maybe a little bit scared, a little frustrated, a lot of uncomfortableness. Like, really, you're asking me to do this Uh, or we'll we'll kind of we'll slip out of, of saying, well, that's not really my primary gift. You know, like you guys can go and I'll pray for you as you go and tell people. And we try to kind of sidestep that. Or maybe maybe you, you see it biblically or maybe you don't. Or maybe even you just disagree with it altogether. Right. That's not out of the realm of possibility in our culture today. Maybe you say it's great for me to follow Jesus and to love him and gather together with other believers. But it's really arrogant and it's really uh, disrespectful to try to convert other people to what I believe. That's actually very common today. And maybe you hold that. Maybe you wrestle with that very idea that you would go and tell someone else that this is the way it is. Maybe you know someone who said that to you. Hey, that's fine for you, but I don't want to hear it. But I want us to think through that just real quickly before we talk about how Jesus tells us to do it, because that's very, very normal today. You're going to hear that at different times. Hey, that's great for you, but please don't try to put that on me. And people will begin to say that. And in our culture, we have a hyper tolerance It's actually not tolerance anymore. It's intolerance of tolerance, but that's a whole nother discussion. But the idea is that you can't ever tell anyone something they disagree with because that's being intolerant in our culture. But I want us to think about what the gospel actually is. When we say gospel, what we mean in the Bible is good news. It's pronouncing or announcing something that's happened that's wonderful. And I want you just to think about that for just a second. I'm so overwhelmed as we sang this morning, standing here singing, death has been defeated. Right? We just sang those words. The grave is open. Christ is risen. Right? And we're singing those words. If that is true, that death has been defeated, the greatest fear that anyone in this life has, no matter whether they admit it or not, The greatest fear, the greatest desire of every single person's heart that you know, you now have the answer to it. You proclaim the good news that death has been defeated. That the God of the universe has stepped in to this life and this story and did what you could never do for you. That he took your sin and your guilt 
and your shame. And he said, I will do away with it. And I will welcome you into my arms, into the relationship that you have always desired. And it's by grace alone and what Christ has done. If that is true, that is quite simply the greatest news that has ever been. Bar none. There's nothing that compares to that. Nothing. And if that is true, then the gospel is to be heralds to proclaim what God has done. In fact, we miss it sometimes in our culture. The word gospel actually got its start from people proclaiming good news that had happened. Right? Evangelism, our word today, of sharing your faith with other people. The evangel was someone who ran into the town and proclaimed good news. And so if uh, the Roman army had gone out and defeated some uh, attacking country, people were worried about, oh, no, what does that mean if they get to our town and what this looks like? And they go out and they defeat them. Then the herald would run back and come into the town and proclaim that the enemy has been defeated and you don't have anything to fear. And so when the early church started to talk about the gospel and the good news and the proclamation, that's the picture that we're talking about. The greatest news that ever happened has now come. And it's the most important news that could ever be. And I want you to think about this picture when people say, well, but that's intolerant. You can't do that. That's not fair to other people. It's good for you, but that doesn't really, that's not fair for you to put that on me. If this is true and you don't share it, you don't proclaim what is now true. That's the saddest thing there is. Jesus says when he sends them out to go and proclaim, right? He says, go into the towns and do these things and heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom has come. And then he says, and if they reject you, look at what it says in verse 11. But even the dust of your town that clings on our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. And then he goes into this kind of uh, chapter or this section that's a little bit perplexing when we put it in the terms of the gospel and good news. And Jesus loves us and he wants us to come to him, wants us to have a relationship with God. And then all of a sudden he starts to say, you're going to tell them woe to you. Right? You're going to pronounce this woe to these towns that have rejected. And it gets down to the end. And he says in verse 16, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? He said, you're going to go and you're going to proclaim it and you're going to tell them. And the, the picture of, of pronouncing a woe is not like cursing those people. It's kind of a lament of saying, like, you don't know what, what you're rejecting. Like, oh, if you just knew what this was, woe to you if you just knew. And so the picture I want you to see when you think about, should I share my faith with this person? It might offend them. Is there's no in between. You have either rejected Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or you haven't. And there's no in between. And eternity hangs in the balance of that. There's no like, oh, I might hurt your feelings by telling you that God loves you. You have to pronounce it. There's no in between. And so when Jesus says, woe to you, you're either with me or you're not. And oh, that you would see that this is true. And so we are called to proclaim. And so when people say to you, but uh, uh, you can't do that in our culture. That's not fair. That's not right. That's not tolerant. I want you to think about what they're actually saying. And this is a great way to have a conversation with someone around this. 
We believe that Jesus is the God of the universe who's come down and saved us and done what we could never do for us. And if they tell you that you can't say that, they're telling you to not be a Christian. They're telling you to not be obedient to Jesus. They're telling you to not follow him. They are actually trying to convert you to something that is not a Christian. They are doing the very thing that they are calling you not to do. That you don't share that as as an angry, like, I'm going to just let you have it now. But that's a great opportunity to begin to have that conversation with them. Right? You don't try to force them into that. If you look at verse 3, he says, Go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Right? That's a whole other sermon in and of itself. But the picture there is that you can't force people into God's kingdom, that you function as a lamb, that you lovingly walk with people through all those things. But it's a good point to just make and point them back to if they're saying you cannot do this. And so simply put, if you have struggles with what that means to do that, let's talk further about that. But we are sent and we are called to proclaim. And so I want you to look here what Jesus does, though, and how he tells us this looks like. Because this can be fearful sometimes, or a struggle, or this is hard, or I don't know how to do this. And so look at what he says. Verse 1, it says, He sent them on ahead two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And I just want you to focus in on what we talked about last week. That we are called to be committed to one another, walking this out as a body. But then we're sent on mission together. God doesn't call you just to go out and do this on your own. Oftentimes we think of it that way. What is my mission? Who am I sent to? What does that look like for me? And there will be opportunities and times in your life where it's just you, maybe a coworker or a neighbor or different things, but he doesn't send us out just on our own. He sends them out two by two to go together. Now there's a cultural thing here that two people bearing witness about something is more reliable than just one person on their own. I think that's part of what's going on here. But I think part of it too is that God's gifted us in different ways. That we're to bear one another's burdens that we talked about last week. We're to walk this out together. And so he doesn't just send us out alone. He sends them out two by two. But then look at the next thing he says. Pick up in verse 3. Or verse 4. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet one another. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And and then he says, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And I just want to stop there for just a second, because oftentimes when we start to talk about evangelism and what that looks like and how we do that, we get all these ideas in our mind, right? Like going door to door and knocking on people's doors or sharing tracts, or drawing things on napkins, or whatever. Maybe the different ways that you've learned to how to share your faith. And not that any of those things are wrong. It's not putting down if you've done those things, or God's called you into those things. But I want you to see the picture of what Jesus says that you do here. When we're overwhelmed by what this looks like, he says you go in, and now this was a little different culturally, going town to town, staying with people, they're welcoming you into their house. That's what he's talking about here. But put it into our culture now. A lot of what Jesus says applies directly to where you are. He says you go in and if you meet, uh, what does it say there, verse 6, a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, but if not it will return to you. 
And so basically, when you're going in your neighborhood or your job or your gym or your hobbies or whatever it is, and you meet people and you begin to strike up a relationship, and it's suddenly you're, you're easily talking. Those things are moving along, and suddenly you have an easy rapport with someone. That's a son of peace, somebody who, who is allowing that relationship to flourish. And so I want you just to think about the picture of what Jesus tells us. As you build relationships with people, you go to the people that just easily welcome you in, that you have those opportunities with. For example, if you go over and you invite your neighbor to come over to your house and they keep telling you no, say, I'd like for you to come over for dinner. And they go, oh, yeah, we'll get back to you. Right. Oh, we'll get back to you. Oh, we'll get back to you. Or they just finally say, you know what? We don't want to do that. Right. They may not be the people of peace that God's put right in front of you, but the ones who do come. The ones that are willing to enter into those relationships and begin to spend time with. And he says you go and that's where you stay. And you share meals with them and you spend time with them and you stay in that house. You don't move from house to house. And he's giving us very, very practical advice of what this looks like in our day-to-day life. That we would spend time with people and invest with them and listen to them and hear what's going on in their life. Simply be their friend. And continue to listen, right? The thing that it tells us about staying in their house and eating and drinking what they provide. In that culture, it's very similar to our culture. It's not some code here. But it's, it's a, uh, uh, an extending of friendship, right? To eat meals with somebody was the ultimate sign that we're now friends. That's kind of like it is today, is it not? You invite people into your home and you spend time together and you share meals and you, you invest in them. That's exactly what Jesus is telling us to do. Spend time with the people that God has put right in front of you. He sent us out to do that. Looking for people of peace that are right there that welcome you in. And I'm going to tell you what that often looks like is you're going to invest a lot of time. And I want you to think about what this looks like to be their friend and to spend time with them and listen to them and walk with them through this. They're not some project that you're going to spend a week or two so I can now draw out on a napkin what Jesus has done and how you get across the great divide and what that looks like. You're going to share your faith because we are heralds that are sent to proclaim the greatest news that has ever come. And we are going to say it with words, but you know what's going to happen sometimes? They're going to go, hey, that's great for you. I'm nine years in with my neighbor in that exact relationship. And I've shared the gospel with him four times. And all four times he went, I don't think so. And you know what you then do? You okay, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, let's cook out on Friday. Right? You don't just go, oh, well, I did my job. I'm moving on. Right? I'm going to continue to love them and spend time with them and remind them that I think the greatest news in the world is that God loves them and it's all because of Jesus. And I'm going to continue to do that. And I'm going to continue to look for other people that God brings into my life and do that. And it's going to be investing a whole lot of time and a whole lot of conversations, and a whole lot of listening, and a whole lot of showing up when things are not good in their life to care for them, and love them, and walk with them, and continue to do it, and continue to go, and by the way, God loves you. And guess what? God's going to do what He's going to do. And so we get to rest in that. And so when I read what Jesus tells us in the picture that He lays in front of us, it's not quite so scary. It's not this big, huge thing that you have to sell all your stuff and move across the globe. Although he might be calling you to sell all your stuff and move across the globe. Don't pretend like that doesn't happen because he does do that. And he may be calling you to do that. 
But it might just be he's calling you to walk across the street and get to know your neighbor and invite him into your house and begin to share your life with him. Begin to show them what it looks like, the love of Jesus looks like in the way that you care for them and serve them. And so the picture here, hopefully, is not quite as, as, as scary as we make it out to be. I think Jesus knows exactly what he's doing when he calls us to this. But here's the last thing, and this is so very important. The power and the motivation for any of this to happen. The power and the motivation, and I want you to think about this. Look at the very first thing it says. The very first thing that Jesus says to them as he sends them out. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Whose harvest is it? It's God's. It's his work. And he's graciously invited us in to be part of this. And so I want you to think about what we've talked about. You are sent. You're called to go. You are to proclaim. You can to be a herald. And by the way, you cannot convert anyone. You can't do it. I'm telling you, you get to do this thing and you get to be part of it and you're called to do it and you're supposed to be obedient. And by the way, you can't do it. Right? That's, that's what it says. To ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's his harvest. It says, so he says, you pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest because you can't do this. It makes us more and more dependent on him in all things. And so we begin to ask him and we begin to seek him and we begin to see. And then we come to the realization that how does anyone ever come to faith? What happens? You're dead in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy causes you to become alive in Jesus. God's going to be the one that does the work of opening their eyes. And you go, well, wait a second. But we're supposed to be obedient and we're supposed to go and we're supposed to do this. Yes. And he graciously allows us to be part of what he's doing. And I want you to understand this is glorious good news. It doesn't ultimately rise or fall dependent on you. Thank God. That we get to go and proclaim. And what happens is, is God saying, I'm inviting you in because there's going to be miracles all around you. And I want you to see them happen. How cool is that? I'm going to draw people to myself. And the ways I'm going to allow that to happen is I'm going to let you speak and talk about it. And you're going to fumble it and you're going to mess it up and you're going to screw up and you're going to do things wrong. And then I'm going to save people anyway. And I'm going to let you be in the front row to see that happen. And so he allows us to be part of that picture. And so we can say, well, we can't do it, but God can and he will. And he invites us to be part of it. So I love Acts 18. I have many more in this city. And you don't be worried about it. And you keep on going and you keep on proclaiming because I have many more. It's the same thing here that he says, I am the Lord of the harvest. And you ask me. And this is the picture. So I'll be real, real blunt. Right? Putting your faith in what God's doing and giving your life away is always, always, always going to be better than anything you can dream up on your own. I think I'll just stay in my house and watch TV tonight. Guess what? That doesn't even compare to walking out your door and loving your neighbor. No one in eternity is going to go, man, I wish I've spent more time watching TV. 
No one is going to see Jesus face to face and go, man, I wasted so much time telling people about Jesus. Not going to happen. He graciously allows us to be part of this. And the good news is the power to do it is all in him. But here's the last part of your own heart as we talk about this. The power is God's going to do this work and he's allowed us to be part of it. But I want you to think about our motivation and our heart in all this. Right? Look at what he says in verses 17 to 20. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And I want you to see two things there before we close. First, do you understand what he's saying? There is nothing that is outside of my control, right? They show up and they say, Lord, even the demons were subject to you, uh, subject to us in your name. And he says, well, duh, of course, right? Like I was there when Satan, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And there's two ways you can take that passage and you can come talk to me later if you want to hear the different. Uh, We'll get into those discussions. Either he's talking about the original fall of Satan at the beginning of time, or he's talking about right there in that moment, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning because he cannot stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing he can do. He has no power over this. I actually think it's the second, but we can talk about that later. But either way, it doesn't matter. The point that Jesus is making is I am sovereign over all this. And so when you're frustrated or worried or scared or it bothers you or you're anxious about sharing your faith, you remember your faith. Remember what Jesus says. I was there. I saw all of it. I'm in control of all of this. Of course, that's what happened. But then the second part I want you to see, and this is so very important for all of us. This can be a very heavy like you should do this kind of sermon. Right. You're saved. You owe your life to Jesus. And so now you get out there and tell people it's what a good Christian does. That's who we are as people. We go out and we proclaim and we be kind and we love people. And that's us. And that's what it means to be a good Christian. But I want you to see the rebuke. It's a gentle rebuke. But there's a rebuke here that Jesus gives to them as they come back. Right. They come back and they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And it carries with it this connotation of look what we've done. Right. Look at this. We're great Christians. We're good evangelists. Look at what's happened. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 wait a second. What are you doing? You've kind of missed the point, guys. Right? What's the heart of what they're saying? Look at what we've done. And look at how Jesus just completely re-changes uh, their focus. He refocuses them to something else. What does he say? He says, no, 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 no. You don't make it about your fruit in ministry. You don't make it about how many converts you have. You don't make it about how many times you share your faith. He says you rejoice because of whose you are. Right? He says your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You are mine and I have bought you with a price and I've got you and you rejoice in that. And if we switch that, it will crush you. If you go out and decide today, I'm going to share my faith so that God will be pleased with me. No, no, God's already completely pleased with you and what Jesus has done completely and totally. 
It's not dependent on how well you do today sharing your faith. You go, well, I, I got this many people saved this year. I walked them through this prayer. By the way, you can't do that, so that's impossible. So the good news is you don't have to worry about how many people I got saved because you didn't save anybody. God saves sinners, and he allows us to be part of it. And so when we see that, he says, no, 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 you rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven, that you're mine. You're already mine. I already love you completely and totally. You now get to do this as an overflow of what God's done in your own life. Do you see? If we switch that motivation, it'll just be this crushing thing that you'll never live up to. But when we live out of who we are in Christ, we get to be part of what God's doing. And it'll be a wonderful joy. Do you see the difference? And so we get to do this. Quite simply put, God's allowing you to be used to see miracles happen right in front of you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious truth of your word. I thank you that you allow us to be part of what you're doing. I thank you that you've come to us, that you love us the way that you do, that you've redeemed us, that you've called us, that you've taken our sin, that you've restored us to relationship with you, and it's all by your grace and mercy, and all we can do is simply say thank you. I pray that you would use us, each one here, to be heralds for the glorious good news, not just with our words, but with our lives that we would love and serve people the way that you have loved and served us, and it would be for your glory and our good. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Come to the time of worship through our giving. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward.
said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat 
same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This time is for the
Thank you. 